In our worship guide, we have the text printed. So I will read it, first of all, from Isaiah 40, 9 through 11. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord Yahweh comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. Let's pray together. Heavenly Lord and our Father, in Jesus' precious name, we come to you today. We ask you to instruct us from your scriptures, to show us, teach us how you've come among us as our King and Shepherd. Lord, we need you to rule over us. We need you to guide and nourish us as our Good Shepherd. So feed us today on your holy word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our our minds back about 2,800 years in the past and think of ancient Israel, the nation of Israel. You've been in captivity. You were a nation who was beaten down by the realization of your own sin. A people who had sinned grievously against God. A people who had therefore suffered 70 years of exile and separation from their homeland. A people whose place of worship had been totally destroyed, burned to the ground, every stone thrown down. And and yet, somehow, by the grace of God, you come to your senses and realize the enormity of your own sin, the sin of your nation, and how you had exchanged the worship of the true God Yahweh for false gods of the pagan nations. So, for 70 years, you were a people in a state of mental and spiritual agony. Your life had been turned upside down and inside out, and you were about to die from pure grief in the realization that you had betrayed God. What is the most wonderful news that you could hear in such a situation? It would be that God would come and comfort you in the knowledge that your sins had been forgiven. It would be the knowledge that the ancient promise in the scriptures to bring a savior to the world through the Hebrew people had not been canceled but God would yet fulfill his word. Comfort and encouragement would come to you in knowing that in spite of your nation's failure, God is faithful. Though every man is a liar, God is faithful. In spite of the Israelites' fickleness and undependability, God is faithful, he is dependable, he will keep his word, he will keep his promises, If all else fails in life, God will not fail. 
If God's steadfast love, the Hebrew word is chesed, does not fail and is constant, then that's the rock that we can stand on in the overwhelming trials of life. If God is faithful, if he can be depended on to keep his promises, then that's the anchor, the ultimate anchor we need in the storms of life. This is what the Hebrew nation was beginning to learn through the circumstances of their history and from the words of the prophets through the preaching of Isaiah. So you remember the chapter began in uh, Isaiah 40 verse 1, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned. Comfort my people with this message. And then he goes on in verse 5 and says, The glory of Yahweh shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. The promise is laid out there that all flesh, all people are going to see the glory of Yahweh in the future. So these are words of comfort, of hope of glory to be revealed. Last week we looked at verses 6 through 8 of chapter 40 and we saw that the beauty, that is the faithfulness of the Hebrew people had failed. But even if all human flesh fails and withers and blows away like the dry grass, God's word stands forever. God's purposes will not fail. God will fulfill every promise of his word, especially his promise to send a savior to the world. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, in the very garden of Eden after man and woman had sinned, God promised to send a seed, a descendant of the woman who would crush the head of Satan. Later this same seed spoken of as a descendant of Abraham, would be the one who would bless the nations of the earth by bringing salvation from sin to them. So we take up today verses 9 through 11, and it helps to bring into sharper focus what God is doing in human history. Verse 9 says, Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, Herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Here's the message to the Jewish people. Behold your God. Verse 10 says, Behold, the Lord God comes with might. Here is the message that Isaiah wanted to communicate to the Jewish people that Yahweh himself is coming among them. Not going to be in heaven. Not going to send an angel. Not going to send another prophet. But Yahweh himself is going to come among the people. Now this is an earth-shaking, mind-blowing reality. The very creator of the universe would come down and live among human beings. But this is the message that Isaiah was preaching some 800 years before Christ ever came on the scene. 
It's the same message for us today that Yahweh Himself is coming among His people. He has come, and He will come again. Of course, we have a different vantage point as Isaiah and his people had 800 years before Christ, before the Messiah came. They were looking forward to the future when the Messiah would come, and we're looking back some 2,000 years when He's already come. But God's people in all ages look forward to the great day of the Lord which will culminate, which will end human history, and the glory of Yahweh will be revealed to all people. The Messiah, the Anointed One, came in the fullness of time. Jesus, our Lord, born of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Spirit. The eternal Creator Yahweh walked among men as one of them, fully human, sweating when He was working, hungry, and tired. But he never lost a drop of his deity. His deity was hidden. Put on the back burner, we could say. So it wasn't revealed. If you looked at Jesus Christ, you would have known that he was God in human flesh. But he never lost any of his deity. What makes God to be God was never lessened. It was hidden in the human man, Jesus of Nazareth. So he left heaven, he came to earth. He came to his own people, as John says in John 1.11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Well, here's the first point I want us to get from our text today, and that is, as it says here in verse 9, Go up on a high mountain, herald of good news, lift up your voice. Yahweh's coming among his people is to be boldly announced. Lift up your voice. Fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Yahweh's coming among his people is to be declared boldly. These people who had been beaten down for 70 years, carried off to a farm foreign land. They had forsaken the living God for the worship of idols, but they were also experiencing the gracious, gracious, gracious assurance of the forgiveness of their sins. And the greatest thing that could happen among humans was going to take place. That God himself would come down and live among them and forgive their sins. The holy God would come down and rub shoulders with unholy people. The triune God who enjoyed perfect fellowship within himself, within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would come down to earth and rub shoulders with his creatures, with human beings. Isaiah is saying this is exactly what was going to happen. What would be thought to be impossible would be actual. What had never happened before was going to happen. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. This is the great message the prophet Isaiah is bringing. At the end of verse 9, Behold your God! And then in verse 10, The Lord God comes! He comes with might. This is the truth. That the Israelites, 
and Babylonian captivity began to realize their situation was so hopeless that only God himself could deliver them. And this is exactly what he did. He sent the Persians in to conquer the Babylonians and the, Cyrus, the, the Persian emperor named Cyrus had a different policy. He released them to go back to their land and rebuild their temple. This was in 538 B.C. They were able to go back and rebuild their temple and resume their worship. Although the second temple was not as glorious as Solomon's original temple. And then it was 538 years later that Christ was born in Bethlehem. A future event, a future hope. These people did not live to see this happen. But it was promised by the prophecy of Isaiah. They could see through the eyes of faith the promise of the word of God that God would come among them and live and walk among them. The coming of Yahweh among human beings was such an astounding event that it had to be proclaimed from the mountaintops, from the rooftops. Zion refers to God's people gathered before him. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Don't just stay down on the street. Get up there and proclaim what's going to be happening in human history. O Zion, herald of good news. You know what a herald is, right? Someone sent on an official mission by a person in authority, such as a king, to deliver an announcement or make a proclamation to the people. An example of this would be, for the end of the American Civil War, there was a Union general named Gordon Granger who was sent to Texas. He came to Galveston, and on June the 19th, 1865, <clears throat> June the 19th, 1865, he announced to the slaves of Texas that you're free. The President Lincoln has declared that you have been free. And so even now to this day, Juneteenth is celebrated as the day the herald came announcing their freedom. Well, Isaiah was a herald. He was proclaiming the good news. He wanted the people of Zion to know this good news. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. What greater blessing could the Jewish people have than to know that in all their suffering, God had seen them. He was coming to their aid. He was coming to comfort them. Paul captures some of this idea in Romans 8.18 when he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The Hebrew people had suffered greatly, but God had not forgotten them. He had not forgotten his covenant promise to preserve a remnant and through them bring the Savior of the world to the nations. This was good news of happiness. 
Later on in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, we read this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. So there's this note of triumph, of happiness, of coming joy, of coming salvation that's woven in the book of Isaiah, especially in the last half of the prophecy. Paul picked up on this when he wrote in Romans 10, 15, How are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. See, Paul was seized upon with this calling to be a herald of the gospel, to announce to the nations that God had sent His Son to save them from their sins. This was the great announcement. The great announcement to be delivered to the Jewish world, to the Gentile world, to the nations of the earth. God had come among men and women in the person of His Son, born of Mary. He's been raised from the dead. He's been declared the judge of all men. So all people are now called to repent of their sins and believe in Him. This is the great announcement. That Yahweh Himself is coming among His people. Can you imagine what a fantastic thing this is? That God, the Creator of all things, the One who threw the galaxies into space, the One who in His artistry designed each flower and each leaf that we see, He had come among His people as a human, as a man. Paul describes what happens in Romans 2, remember, Philippians 2, rather, that God, Jesus, rather, existing in the form of God, equality with God, did not hold on to his deity, but put it aside, clothed himself with humanity, not losing a bit of his deity, but he clothed himself with humanity so that he could come and die on the cross for his people's sin. And therefore, God raised him from the dead, and gave him a name above every name, that all knees would bow before him. So Yahweh's coming among his people. Back then was to be boldly announced, and today it's to be boldly announced. He has come, and he will come again. You need to get ready for this, is the message we should be preaching. There's a second great truth here in this passage. That Yahweh's coming will be with power and authority. You notice it says here in verse 10, Behold, the Lord God comes with might. That's power. With strength. And His arm rules for Him. What kind of power did He have when He arrived? The Messiah Jesus. Let me ask you some questions about his ministry, ministry of the Lord Jesus. When he turned 120 gallons of plain water into choice high-quality wine, was that a demonstration of power or not? When he healed an official's son who was dying from a distance of several miles by the word of his command, 
And the boy was healed at the seventh hour. Was that a demonstration of power? When he healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, who had been an invalid for 38 years, was this a demonstration of power? When he fed 5,000 men along with their families with five barley loaves and two fish, was this a demonstration of power? Has any man ever done this? When he raised from the dead his friend Lazarus, who had been in the tomb for four days and was beginning to stink, was this a demonstration of power? When he himself rose from the dead on the third day, appeared to his disciples in his resurrected body on ten different occasions over the next 40 days, was this a demonstration of power? When Jesus ascended to heaven in front of his startled disciples and returned to his Father's side, was this a demonstration of power? What is the answer to all these questions? Yes, yes, of course. It's a demonstration of Messiah's divine power. There are many more that we could mention. But just to, to, to get us thinking here that Isaiah's prophecy that the Messiah would come with might and power was fulfilled in Jesus. No other person in the history of the world exercised such, such acts of power as did Jesus Christ. So, Yahweh's coming is to be boldly declared and announced. His coming will be with power and authority. It was demonstrated in his first coming and it will be even more demonstrated in his second coming. And verse 11 says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his arms. He'll carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. The third thing we need to know about Yahweh's coming is that he's coming to tenderly shepherd his people, his flock. Now the fact that Yahweh God is the shepherd of his people is an important revelation not infrequent in the Old Testament. The concept of God as shepherd of his people is actually an ideal illustration of the relationship of humans to God. Let's think about sheep, what kind of animals they are. I think one word that sums up their mindset, their nature, is they are dependent creatures. They're dependent creatures. They cannot survive on their own. They cannot find grass or water on their own. They can easily wander off and get lost. They fall in holes in the ground and they injure themselves. They have no way to protect themselves from wild animals such as wolves and coyotes. They have to have a shepherd to come to their rescue in all these situations. I remember when we were in North Africa, driving down the highway, we occasionally would see a shepherd on the hillside with his small flock of sheep. They have to be constantly watched, or they'll wander off and endanger themselves fatally. A shepherd is absolutely essential to a sheep's survival. 
We have such a shepherd in the Lord Jesus Christ. Without our Lord's guidance and provision and protection, we would soon succumb. We would fall to all the dangers around us, the physical dangers, the spiritual dangers. The Bible does not usually describe human beings as lions, as ferocious, strong, independent creatures, or describe us as having strength like that of an ox but rather describes us as helpless, wandering, disoriented sheep who couldn't find their way out of a paper bag. Not very flattering, is it? Would you turn the air down a couple degrees, please? But God has provided what we need. He has provided a shepherd for us and his son. Jesus says in John 10... I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. We need a shepherd like this. We need a shepherd who can guide us around all the pitfalls of life, who can protect us from enemies who would destroy us. A shepherd who can comfort us and heal us when we're wounded, can provide us food when we're hungry and water when we're thirsty, when we're confused about life. We need a shepherd counselor who can speak truth to us, who can help us get our bearings, help us get a heavenly perspective on our earthly problems. Woe to the person who does not have this shepherd, this divine shepherd, to lead them in life's ups and downs. I hope today that all of us have this great and good shepherd as the Lord of our lives. If you're not sure, you can go to his sheepfold. That's the corral, the fence, usually made out of rocks in which the sheep were put during the night. Jesus is described as the gate of the sheepfold. You can go there. You could knock on the gate and ask him to take you in, to make you a part of his flock. You know, he's looking for lost sheep. We need a shepherd. I'm sure he'll take you in if you ask him. So we have this picture today presented to us of the coming of Yahweh to his people. This is the great news that the people of God were to proclaim for the mountaintops. Yahweh himself is coming. The great creator of the universe is coming to walk among men. In this passage, we see that Yahweh's coming will be with power and might, but also he'll come as a gentle and tender shepherd. We need both. We need a powerful God and a king, and yet one who looks upon our weakness with compassion. Jesus has come in might 
and power to rule. He's the king of the kingdom of God. He's the king of the universe. All power and authority has been invested in him. When he returns, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord. In our own lives today, we must submit to his lordship. We must obey his word. We must put it into practice in our lives, in our church. The king calls us, the king shepherd calls us to 100% commitment to faithful service and dedication. And as Christians, as servants of King Jesus, we have a job to do. We have a calling. We must call the nations, the peoples of the earth, to submit to his lordship as we proclaim the gospel among them. It is a gospel worthy to, pro- to be proclaimed. It's the only hope for humanity, for the forgiveness of sins, and for the gaining of eternal life in the presence of the holy God. Yahweh came in the incarnate Jesus Christ, not only to rule us, to be our king, but to rule the universe, to rule in the church, and to tenderly guide and care for his sheep, the flock of God, the people of his love. So, whatever your distresses and your pains may be, come to this good shepherd. He will comfort you. He will help you. He knows your need. He will minister his grace and peace to you. Call upon him, for he's near. His ears open to our cry. Isaiah's prophecy of the coming of God among his people began to be fulfilled when Christ was born of Mary. It will be completely fulfilled when Christ returns at his second advent to rule and reign and to take us up in his arms and carry us in his bosom into the heavenly Jerusalem on the new earth that comes down from heaven when he returns. Until then, as long as God gives us strength, let's proclaim from the high places, from the rooftops, that Yahweh himself has come among his people as their king and as their shepherd. And he will come again to complete the great work of salvation in our lives. So let us always run to the good shepherd, follow him all the days of our lives, and proclaim him from the mountaintops. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, We gladly confess you as our king. And we are so grateful that you're also our good and great shepherd. Lead us beside the quiet waters of your presence and fellowship. Guide us into paths of righteousness. Comfort us always with your goodness and mercy. Enable us to bring you pleasure by the devotion and service of our lives. Lord, enable and strengthen us to go up to the high hills and rooftops and proclaim that Jesus is Lord and call men and women and boys and girls to come to faith in Him, bowing before Him as King of all. We pray in Jesus' great and loving name. Amen.